Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Summer is officially here. Today's the last day of school for lots of families around the country and this weekend they're all jetting off to foreign climes. If they can get there, of course. Last night there were massive delays going out of Heathrow thanks to an IT problem with British Airways and delays were going on all over the globe. In honour of this summer's holiday struggle, we're going politics-free today. There'll be no mention of Boris Johnson's resignation speech, no reference to Brexit and absolutely zero Trump news. Instead, we want your stories of holiday hell like the grandfather from Exeter who went mad when he couldn't get a bacon roll on the plane for one of his grandchildren. 03444991000. Coming up later on, we'll be telling you why Burberry burns millions of pounds worth of stock every single year so it doesn't get into the hands of the wrong people far as they're concerned, but we've got some bad news for them. Plus, if you're going away on holiday, are you worried about your house being burgled? We're going to speak to a former burglar who's going to tell you about how easy it is to get into it. 0344 499 1000. You listen to me, Mike Graham, and Daisy McAndrew on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, Daisy, I think I feel good about the fact that we've taken a decision to completely and utterly ignore any political discussion that's going to be going on uh, for the foreseeable three hours. I feel extremely chipper about dumbing down today. Yes, <laughs> Simon Calder is here, travellers, of course, for The Independent, uh, legendary figure uh, in the world of getting around the globe. Simon, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Uh, good morning, yes, always a pleasure, and I agree about avoiding politics on this. <laughs> well, uh, we're definitely morning. not going anywhere near uh, the European Union on this, but if you happen to be trying to fly into the European Union uh, through no fault of your own or indeed anyone in Brussels, uh, it was a bit difficult last night thanks to a bit of a glitch. Uh, uh, well, yeah, it's a bit difficult this morning as well. Indeed, uh, the Brussels flight is one of the many that have been cancelled today. Uh, 11 outbound flights, 31 inbound flights, and uh, I think 16 airports scattered around Europe. There are people kicking their, their heels, waiting to be flown back. They were due in last night, um, but everything got so snarled up that they're not going to be back till this afternoon. One flight to Oslo from Oslo is um, 20 hours late at the hey. moment. So, oh, Simon, blimey. it seems like there are sort of two chaos stories around. There was, yes. there was trouble at uh, Heathrow uh, with some sort of fire in the control tower or fire yep. alarm and an IT outage, which seemed yep. to, to disrupt lots of flights to sort of the UAE and uh, uh, sort of Middle East areas like that. And then there's all this Ryanair cancelling hundreds of flights in and out of Belgium, Portugal and Spain. 
yes, okay, so let's start at Heathrow if we may. Um, there was a, I understand, and I'm still seeking clarification from Heathrow on this. I've been asking them this morning. Um, it appears that uh, the control tower was closed for about 35 minutes. Now, at a normal airport, that would cause some disruption. At Heathrow, it just means the schedules are shredded. There were flights diverted all over the place. Um, many planes uh, delayed for many hours and a whole sequence of uh, cancellations, the effects of which have been to continue the cancellations this morning. Um, this IT issue, I, again, I've not got to the bottom of this. It's not through want of trying. No. Um, but that, that's caused uh, problems as well. Today, it is firmly British Airways, which is the uh, airline facing problems. And I reckon about 10,000 passengers are wow. perhaps and not quite a, where they want to be right a, now. That's a lot of people, Simon. And it is, I mean, you know, most uh, schools by the end of this week will have broken up for the summer. Yeah. There will be a lot of people flying over the weekend. My experience of these kinds of glitches is that they tend to go on longer than anybody well, uh, wants them to. So if you're flying this weekend, what should you do? Well, um, hope for the best and be prepared for delay and disruption, <laughs> as, as always. I mean, I mean it's, it's just hopeless, be... isn't it? Well, no, it's not hopeless, because most people will get away to where they need to be. Um, the, the UK is kind of the real aviation hub of the world. We have more choice, more flights, more uh, low affairs than pretty much anybody and most people will get where they need to be mm. but um, as well as these BA cancellations as you say there's uh, problems with Ryanair 24 flights cancelled tomorrow because the Dublin based pilots are on strike and then 300 cancelled on Wednesday and Thursday next week because the uh, cabin crew in Spain Portugal and Belgium are going on strike so uh, and presumably yeah. at some point or other randomly we'll have a few uh, French air traffic controller strikes as well over the course of the next well, well, they've been a bit quiet for the past couple of weeks, but they've certainly <laughs> had lots of impact. I mean, to the extent that I was talking to the EasyJet boss yesterday, Johan Lundgren, and he was saying that uh, uh, the, the cost of disruption, mostly from air traffic control strikes and a bit of bad weather, um, is now about 3% of their costs, which on a £100 ticket means you're paying £3 just for the wow. um, enormous cost of uh, dealing with, with uh, cancelled flights. Um, so, yeah, um, it, it's uh, stay at home and close the curtains, <laughs> I guess, would be the, uh, the, the the safest way to avoid flight disruption. So because tom oh, sorry, tomorrow is going to be the busiest day in Gatwick Airport's history for outbound passengers, yes. Wow. It's and all getting quite lively. And just taking you back to Ryanair, obviously we, you've heard those, you, know, you mentioned there's pilot strikes, and that's the sort of Dublin-based pilots. Then there's strikes in Belgium, Portugal and Spain. But it's confusing because I thought that Ryanair had sorted out its problems with its employees ah. and that it had now recognised unions and everything was going to get better now that it had recognised the unions. But clearly well, that's not happening. Well, um, let, let's talk through it. So um, last September, you'll recall that uh, Ryanair suddenly found it didn't have enough pilots. And uh, as a result of that, they... <coughs> excuse me, cancelled um, 20,000 flights during the winter. Quite a lot. Um they then the pilots realised that they sort of had quite a lot of muscle and they they, they were keen to flex their industrial muscle quite quite uh, understandably and on top of that you have um, uh, the airline realising that you know it's a big well the biggest budget airline in Europe it really ought to kind of um, uh, get with the programme and recognise trade unions but the trade unions have basically got together and said well actually we don't think much of the way we're treated and therefore uh, we are going on strike and 
Uh, Michael O'Leary, the boss of Ryanair, is on record as having said, you know, take take as many strikes as you like. We are not going to roll over in the way that um, he says EasyJet has. He, he's quoted as saying we're a low-cost, high-efficiency airline and we intend to remain like that um, while paying our people very well. So um, it could be a summer of discontent for Ryanair passengers. I think uh, it could be. And, al- yes. and also, I mean, I learned, um, I think you may have been the first person to mention it to me some months ago, Simon, that uh, over the course of, of booking for years and years and years through budget airlines, they have a little trick that they play on you, don't they, where they work out how much you paid in previous journeys to, to travel with them. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't get that cheap. I went to Greece uh, during half term and paid a ludicrous amount of money to fly in and out of costs. Uh, I can tell you, I could have flown to New York for the same money. Yeah. Um, now, if you are referring, Mike, to the um, uh, idea that you've got to delete all your t- cookies. Cause yes, the sort of algorithm you. thing that yeah. they have, yeah. Um, Yes, uh, well, I've heard that story many, many times. I've put out appeals. Let me put out another appeal for somebody to show me simultaneous screen grabs on one uh, one computer with uh, cookies and one without of the way that they do this because I, every time the story emerges, I talk to the airlines, I talk to the train operators. I say, do you do this? And they say, no. I mean, I, I'm not saying they wouldn't want to. I'm not saying that they're not, uh, the boffins aren't working on it, but mm. it doesn't happen now. Um, it's it's uh, simply one of those um, things which I would class at the moment as an urban myth, but okay. I'm very happy to be... Well, you've now just set the hair running uh, to <laughs> the Independent Republic, so I shall find somebody to do that for you and prove oh, to oh, you sure, that no, it's I mean, true. Lots of, lots, lots of um, you know, serious... Uh, Serious people have said, yes, it happens. Yeah. Um, but I've just not seen any convincing proof. Mm. So, well, uh, well, let me tell you, I paid 2,500 quid to fly four people oh, yeah. to Greece and back but, but, at but half term, which seemed like an awful lot of money. Yeah, and you chose to do that, but they weren't they weren't sort of watching you thinking, oh, right, last time he paid 2,000 200 let's let's push up the price yeah. this time it doesn't work like that there is nothing to stop you borrowing daisy's um laptop having a look at what well, possibly from daisy well there might be and, some uh, reasons why i wouldn't want to do that <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway let's talk uh, about food because a big headline in the papers today our landfill wedding uh, and it's a couple basically they served up a wedding festival and a wedding food banquet for five pounds a head using what is effectively recycled food food that was going to go in a landfill and it doesn't sound as disgusting uh, actually as it as it does sound or it doesn't look as disgusting spinach and chickpea curry chicken and bacon pie sausage and bean cassoulet ratatouille cheese board you know all sorts it of stuff it looks wonderful and also you were implying that this food had come out of dustbins well of course I was <laughs> it's called journalistic licence <laughs> it's called barefaced lies not at all there's a very big difference <laughs> let's talk to Adam Smith who's the CEO of the Real Junk Food Project Adam a very good morning to you welcome good morning to you boss now tell us about what you do and, and how this couple sort of found access to your to your system really if you like well, five years ago, I came back from Australia after working on farms out there and seeing food waste, um, you know, on an astronomical scale and just decided that I was going to do something about it. Mm. Uh, I've been a chef for a long time, 15 years now, and I just decided that with the skills and knowledge and experience that I had and the catering industry had that we knew that we could do something with a food that was deemed waste um, and doesn't have to go to landfill right. and is still completely edible, completely safe to eat. So I set up a cafe uh, in Leeds then and we now have around 120 cafes in seven countries across the world in five years okay um, and where does your and where do, does the food actually come from what we do is we, we have national partnerships with uh, retailers wholesalers the hospitality industry you know people's households we have lots and lots of different ways of getting all the food from production waste, uh, waste on farms etc we collect this food and then you know we make our own judgment on whether we think this food is is safe to consume or not it's instinctively built into us to 
smell and look and you know taste if food is is edible or not and you know we've done this successfully now for over five years and fed you know around seven million people across the world in that space of time including the wedding that we catered for on on, on the weekend. Yeah, so, so tell us how it works for a, a catering event like this because my understanding is that the bride and groom didn't know what, if anything, they were going to be serving on the day. No, and I don't think the chefs even knew what they were going to be serving on the day. That's the beauty of the Real Junk Food Project. It's, um, it's, it's a very, very last minute. We obviously, we don't know what we're going to collect because waste isn't consistent. We can't order it because it's something that is going to right. waste. So, we've just got so are, the, you, are you collecting sort of the raw materials, as it were, and then cooking it? Or are yeah. you? Or is that what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah, so in Leeds, our biggest project in Leeds, uh, that intersected around 1,000 tonnes of food uh, in 2017, and a majority of that was fruit and vegetables. Mm. So we collect this raw material, we then turn it into meals, and we get so much of it that we just don't have enough people um, to feed uh, enough output for it. So we, we opened supermarkets, which we opened in Leeds and uh, in Birmingham and Brighton across the last couple of years, and we also do cafes and outside catering as well. And how do you make money, if you, if you do make money? It doesn't. It's it's not about making money. I mean, it does make money. People do make donations. It's obviously pays you feel, but we do have costs, which. We and that's what I mean. I mean, I don't. I I, can, I I appreciate you're not making a profit, but I mean, it takes costs yeah. money to do it, presumably. Absolutely, and each project that we have across the country has different um, costs. So you know, some of them have warehouses. Leeds has a three thousand square foot uh, supermarket warehouse in Leeds, which has huge costs incurred onto it. Um, so we try to recruit recruit them costs through these catering events and um, through the sharehouse model that we have in Leeds. Um, it, it, we, it's tight. It's very, very tight. We don't get much support in terms of funding, um, but we do get a lot of support from the public and you know the likes of the media. So we do get a lot of interest in in what we're doing. So Adam, just in case there are any, you know, anybody who's planning a big party or a <laughs> wedding like this couple, James and um, Sheree yeah. were, how, how does it work on a practical level that like they you would approach uh, the real junk food and say I've got an event coming up, can you yeah. cater it? And then that the, I mean because I've read that there's you know, cost five pounds a head, but was that just what the raw materials cost? And then they pay you on top to provide no, the, the catering. No. They don't pay for the food. They pay for the cost of the like, the time and the skills of the chef, and obviously the the fuel of delivering the food and all of that. Basically, it's the times and, and and skills and costs that are involved in putting that together. Uh, the very very basic costs we try to cover through that. But just since the article's gone out this morning, I've already had three people emailing me asking me if I could cater for their wedding um, have already. You? Uh, yeah, all there you go. Morning. I've just been absolutely inundated. That's brilliant. And we, we have we have done a lot of weddings already this year. This one has obviously just got a lot of attention because they uh, they allowed the media into their wedding. Uh, but they are across the country. We're catering for the uh, weddings uh, pretty much every weekend at the moment, uh, all across the UK. And can um, you do? Can you do like a sort of a, a, a? Could you do a sort of frozen service if you like? Could you make, say, for example, all the stuff that's on this wedding list: spinach and chickpea curry, uh, sausage yeah. and bean cassoulet, ratatouille. Could you prepare that and freeze it and sell it as a frozen sort of ready-to-eat meal or something? You could do. You just got to think of the cost involved. There's, that's a lot of freezer space. Um, where would you store the freezers? How would you cover the cost of the freezers? Um, you know, we're, we're trying to get food in and food out, and because it's so close to its shelf life, you've yeah. got very, very little time and a little bit window of opportunity to be sure. able to get that food into somebody's belly. Yeah. So the best, the best thing for us is to try and get it out in its raw state. Right. Um, however, some of the food that we do get, which we can freeze and we can refrigerate, we then use for our catering events. But it's very last minute because we can't store food for long periods of time to expect a catering event. It's, it's, I mean, these guys probably uh, spent about a week. Um, basically storing the food and then putting a menu together. So you had very, very little time to get this wedding done. 
Uh, so it's quite miraculous, really, that they're able to do it. And that just obviously highlights the, the achievement that they've done. And, and Adam, what would have happened if there simply hadn't been enough donations in the week before this wedding to, to cater for the number of people they had? Would they have like ordered you know, kebabs. K- KFC? Kebabs. What, what would they have done? I have no idea. I mean, honestly, <laughs> in five years, we, we, we say that we, we pray to the food waste gods and, you know, if there's something we need, like tomatoes or something, it, it does end up coming miraculously. One of the best weddings, just... and actually one of the best weddings I ever went to was a proper sit-down wedding in some kind of stately home castle type place near yeah. Nottingham. But later on at night, when everyone was drunk, somebody sent out for kebabs. It was the greatest <laughs> idea I'd ever seen. Would have been the somebody same. just brought all these kebabs in. It was like, oh, this is the greatest wedding ever, you know? It would have been the same. Have you got any outlets in London, uh, Adam? We have, yeah, North London, uh, North East London Barnet. We've got the Real Drug Budget in North East London. We've got the Real Drug Budget in Twi- uh, Twickenham. And there also is the Save the Date Cafe in Hack- Hackney. We should There's get you in here. Bring it. You should bring us some lunch one day. I'd love to come and cater for you. You'd be absolutely shocked and blown away by the quality and the range of food that I'd be able to... Because here's the other question I've got for you. I mean, we hear all the time about food banks, and I know that an awful lot of the stuff that food banks give out tends to be tinned and tends to be, you know, stuff that has a longer life. But but could you hook up with food banks and maybe serve... You know, lunch uh, to to uh, to people who who were starving or people who were really hungry. Absolutely, and we already do. And, and ironically, we take a lot of waste from food banks. Uh, there's a lot of food that they can't give out, and there's a lot of donations that they receive that they're not able. So things past best before, for example, mm. or tinned items of, of food that people just don't know what it is or what to do with it. And we work with food banks to make sure that they then don't throw that food away and that it comes to us and then we can redistribute out to people across, you know, other demographics. Because I suppose the point about you, Adam, is that you're, you're professional chefs that can be, you know, it's like that old programme on the telly, Ready, Steady, Cook, you know, get given a yeah. few ingredients, yeah. you've got to come up Absolutely, with something brilliant. Yeah. And it takes, it takes you know, professional chef or somebody with real imagination to, to do that. And I guess that's, that's a skill that perhaps some food banks haven't got, but you have. Absolutely, yeah. And our our angle isn't uh, poverty-driven. We're not here to feed um, poor people, homeless people, people on low income, etc. We're here to stop food waste. And yeah. in order to do that, we need to feed absolutely everybody with it because, we, one, we need to expose the problem, and two, we need to also solve the problem as well. Yeah. And we couldn't do that just by feeding... I mean, it's got, it's got endless possibilities, this. I can see you doing it for things like football grounds and, you know, yep. going to the We've Emirates or somewhere uh, on a Saturday and saying, right, this absolutely. is what you're going to get today. And cookbooks, yep. Adam, have you got a cookbook coming out? Uh, I, I've been offered them many, many times to do books and I'm just really sceptical about the whole books. I don't want to be seen as this kind of TV chef celebrity type person. I, I don't want to be portrayed that way whatsoever, so I'm still kind of holding back on stuff like that at the moment. Okay. Fair we enough, do, a man of principle. Well. There's so few of them around. I told you it was a politics free show. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely. A, Adam, it's listen, a well, it's brilliant. Good show. Listen, talk to our producers and we'd love to get you in sometime yes. if you can do it. Uh, it'd be I really did, fascinating. Did, did, and and, and what a great and what a great thing you're doing. Congratulations. Something to be proud of, finally. Yeah. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to Bluenile.com and use promo code Listen to get fifty dollars off your purchase of five hundred dollars or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. In this country. Why is it that people like Burberry uh, produce so much stuff that they can't sell? Because surely what they should do uh, is every single year look at the stock that they've got left over and go, well, maybe we shouldn't make so much of it. And then we wouldn't have to ridiculously kind of oversell it. Well, I think that's why this story's hit the headlines now, because the shareholders and investors have seen how much they're wasting. And apparently the amount of wastage, I think, has gone up by 50 percent in the last year or so. So they're they're massively overproducing and underselling and right. then instead of perhaps giving it away and with the investors being saying well if you've got all this extra stuff swilling around instead yeah. of burning it they literally burn it yeah. instead of burning it why don't you give it to us because I would have thought surely saying. well surely the thing that would have made more sense to me anyway if you're trying to create some kind of um, you know demand for something you know if you make a pair of Louboutin shoes yeah. uh, you only want there to be so many pairs of them otherwise there's too many people wearing them anyway so surely you want yeah. to create demand by not having enough supply well it's the bean counters who've got it wrong and they've got it wrong with their predictions mm. um, they've also apparently got it wrong in Burberry's case because they haven't sold as much in China they've blamed that on Chinese tariffs yeah. actually people are saying they're just selling it's far too expensive in China it's more expensive in China comparatively yeah. speaking so lots and lots of uh, you know, marketing types and consulting types and, as I said, bean counters have got it wrong. But then fundamentally, everybody has some excess product. And, you know, at the end of the day, and when you can't sell it because it's not this year's season, what mm. do you do with this? And I think environmentally speaking, the idea of it being burnt, both sort of morally... Yeah. See, I don't care about that. I mean, I think they, I think they're they're running a massively bad sort of uh, company. It's a bad if, business model. If it's a bad business model if that's what they're doing. But it is their right to do it. I don't think they should get the environmentalists jumping up and down, going, "Yeah, you can't burn your stuff." And in fact, H and M burn a load of stuff and, and power an entire Swedish town out of it. They do, and they get criticised for that as well. Do because, they? Yes, because H and M. Because H and M have started because they had a reputation for not being very environmentally friendly. Yeah. They started running a lot of campaign advertising campaigns, mm. suggesting that they were very, and, and they've got specific lines right. in H and M that are you know the sort of green eco lines. So wear this and, and give off less fumes. And they they've run campaigns for recycling clothes, as in you know bring us your clothes, like M and S have done. Right. Lots of people have done that. Yeah, yeah. And they're saying, well, if you're telling us to recycle our clothes, but you're burning your clothes, it's not it doesn't really sing. No, okay. Well, let's talk to Grace Woodward, who is in fact a stylist to the stars. I mentioned earlier that she was a brand specialist. Same kind of idea, though. Grace, a very good morning to you. Well, actually, this is the main reason I've drawn myself away from fashion because of the relentless environmental impact that it has. Um, You know, uh, we are in the top five. uh, Fashion is, I'm drawing myself, I'm trying to get myself away from fashion. Uh, Fashion is one of the most, five top most polluting industries in the world. That is. Uh, in with agriculture, mining, fuel, all of this. <laughs> I quite like the idea of, uh, of, uh, of, kind of, of I quite like the idea of powering an entire town in Sweden, though, with fashion. Isn't that the best use you can know. find for you know, it? I, I don't think that's the answer, though. I think that is, you know, it's uh, it's trying to put a plaster over the problem, isn't it? Um, I guess also us, the consumer, are also involved in this problem. We over-consume and we also dump billions and billions of pounds worth of clothes into into the bins every year. And so I think it's, um, it's a supply and demand thing. I think you're right. I think that companies could also make their, especially luxury brands, could make their 
brands much more prestigious by making things a lot less available. And there are models that are working. There's a, there's a new brand called Vetement, um, and they only produce like 100 units of something. And that pushes the price and demand up, uh, and the quality is, is really, really good. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know why it's come out about about Burberry now. I think it was a report, wasn't it? A business report that came out last week. But brands are doing it across the board. Uh, if you look at um, Vivian Westwood, who is also, you know, the, another crown, a jewel in our crown, she is collaborating with Burberry and um, and for an environmental charity that's trying to stop us burning the rainforest. And there's Burberry burning clothes. So we have got a long way to go, all of us together as a society to stop this happening because uh, we're, fashion is a sort of uh, an unmanaged industry. If yeah, you but like. fashion by its nature, presumably, Grace, is, is, is transient, isn't it? I mean, you're not going to have something that's fashionable Absolutely. forever. So you're going to have to... Surely they need to get better at just knowing how much they're going to sell. Well, how, how can you, unless you decide, as you say, to change the model uh, and, and stop making stuff and stop making as much stuff? Um, you know, Burberry are going through, I think, what's probably a quite difficult transition of just losing their, their main creative director, Christopher. Uh, he, um, he's been there for, I think, 15 years now. And so they're probably they're going through a bit of, weirdly enough, the, the headlines of this press story are saying, because they don't want Burberry to get into the wrong hands. However, Burberry have just changed their look and strategy to go more luxury streetwear. And they've just uh, revealed... New, you know, Burberry check chav look again, and it's like they spent so many years trying to get away from that, and now they've gone back to this kind of ironic status again. So, uh, you know, fashion is fickle; you can't always get it right. And I think they're going through a bit of a transitional period. They've just uh, got Riccardo Tissi, who's an Italian designer, in to try and make it more sports luxury. So maybe they will, in the next couple of years, turn around their financial situation but it doesn't mean that it's going to get environmentally more friendly but, but also the trouble for them is when they talk about not wanting you know the stuff to fall into the hands of the wrong people i.e you know chavs basically do they not have yeah. they not been to glasgow i mean i used to live in glasgow everybody's wearing burberry and it's not real it's all fake well like i said it's the 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 irony of their last show, catwalk show is that they're trying to sort of Reinhale this look and then turn it out, but at, you know, five hundred and fifty pounds more expensive right. than the fake stuff. Uh, so they're trying to own it. It's a new wave in fashion. This kind of ironic kind of look that's going through, and maybe this is where that they're falling down in their luxury look. Let's say. Mm. Grace, it's interesting, isn't it, that the, the sort of the controversies surrounding fashion in the last decade or so have tended to be about where it's manufactured, who, you know, whether it's mm -hmm. using underage labour, um, whether you know, that, that's, or, you know, whether it's um, environmentally unfriendly as, at the lower end of the scale. And this is, mm. you know, now it's sort of creeping up to the top end of the scale. Uh, as I said, you know, there is a reason why fashion is one of the most polluting industries out there. Um, I think across the board, you would think that, luxury be, be, be protected but as in all industries that they are not regulated there's all sorts of things happening which are just you know we would all be very surprised i think and hence why you know personally i don't want to be involved in that anymore um i there are a lot of activists out there there's fashion revolution who are trying to change things but i think the problem is is when you're fighting a marketing machine that's going to young people especially going buy fast fashion, keep buying it. You'll feel better if you have a new thing every week, which inevitably gets put in the bin. Um, 
you know, it's 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 the same story, really. It's it's unfortunately pushing it back onto the consumer when us, the consumer, could actually need to push back on them and say, mm. whether it's luxury or high street, and say, no, do you know what? I don't need something new this week, thanks, or even this month. Uh, yeah, but don't people have any free will anymore? I mean, you know, the idea that we have to somehow lobby big companies to stop doing something which is intrinsically unbusinesslike and not very sensible is kind of bonkers, isn't it? I mean, surely the people out there can say to themselves, well, I'm not going to be sucked in by Burberry. I don't need to buy a handbag that costs 2,000 quid. It's nonsense, isn't it? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's, as I said, there isn't, there doesn't seem to be a watchdog for fashion yet. There's no, I'm saying we don't. I don't see why we should need a watchdog. Is what I'm saying. I don't see why we need to have all this kind of, you know, uh, you know, lobbying pressure going onto a company when surely the best thing that you can do is just have sensible people shopping in a sensible way. Are we sensible? Are people actually sensible? Well, I'd know, like to think so. If I'm having a bad day, we all know this. If I'm having a bad day, I think, oh. You know, I'll just buy myself a little pair of, you know, if they're cheap, really? and that's the problem. You sort of go, oh, you know, oh, they're nice. That'll make me feel better. And unfortunately, you know, especially young people who haven't quite got to the sensible age yet, they are being pressurised. And, and I do think that that should have some sort of standards around it. Because it's like anything, anything that we consume, especially with the environment, also the added environmental impact. I don't see why that shouldn't be regulated. Yeah, but I don't think it needs regulation. I think it just needs people to stop being idiotic. I mean, the idea that you cheer yourself up by buying a pair of shoes is, is fine. Don't beat yourself up about it. You know, it's not going to ruin the planet any more than buying, you know, a new gobstopper or a pint of beer, is it? Well, yes, it is, because, well, because a is. pint of beer will, comes out the other end and it's dealt with. A pair of shoes is going to sit around and end up in landfill. Unless, I think you've got too much recycled. time on your hands. You're beating yourself up over nothing. No, but I, if you've but got I'm no very... free will, if you've got no ability to control your urges... Yeah, but I, I, that's fine for an adult. But I think when the, it's coming to the pressure of, of most of the high street is on young people. But Grace, oh, how, how much do you think the consumer actually does care about either how environmentally friendly the production of um, if something they're buying is or how environmentally friendly the um, you know, destruction of it might end up being? Well, you were talking about H&M earlier and their conscious range. Um, I I sat on the um, the Observer Ethical Awards with Lucy Siegel, who is you know who's absolutely apoplectic age over H and M because they this conscious range, if if they can make that conscious, why can't they make all of their entire stuff conscious? Um, because is, so is it the seems conscious like range, greenwashing. Sorry to interrupt, Grace, but is the conscious? I can't remember. Is the conscious range more expensive than the other stuff? Um, in, in a tiny, a tiny bit more. Yes, because I don't remember noticing a great difference between them. So you're right. Why can't they make the rest of it conscious? Well, because they and do I what they want to do. Don't know, they? I've done. I've done. I have, I've, I have talked to a lot of people about this, and usually when it comes to young people, they say, "Yeah, but we don't have any money. We're students, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. So they, they they expect the right to be able to buy cheap things because they don't have the money. However, if you took somebody to Bangladesh. Um, where people died in factories making cheap clothes. If you said this person can have a living wage, not basically live under a living wage, um, and it'll put the cost of one pound on your jeans, I think most people would do it. The problem is, is the retailers don't want to have that conversation. But I think there are two things, aren't there? There's the expectation to have cheap clothes, 
Um, and I think you're right. I think one pound on 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 anything pretty much wouldn't wouldn't. Put but none most of this none off. of this is to do with Burberry, right? I mean, Burberry don't sell cheap clothes. Burberry sell very expensive clothes, very expensive bags, and very expensive everything, right? Yeah, no, we'd veered yeah, into H and in the same way as everybody else. If they're still burning stock, it's a, it's a problem. That yeah, so you don't like Burberry burning like stock. You don't like other people making cheap clothes. Well, then just wear sackcloth and ashes. I mean, don't worry about it. But the point is, if other people want to actually buy things, That's not realistic, is it? Well, of course it is. You can wear whatever you like. I mean, we live in a free society. People have free will. The idea that we have to regulate it so that I can't go and buy something that I'd like to buy is ridiculous, in my view. Well, no, of course you can go and buy it. And of course, I'm not going to go out wearing sackcloth. That's a ridiculous thing to say. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.